Hello and welcome to another edition of Addressing Dress, a podcast of the Dress Syndrome Foundation aimed at educating everyone about drug reaction with eosinophilia and systemic symptoms. I'm Connie Stevens, and this episode is one of a couple in our lineup that is a bit more technical. It may be best suited for those who have some medical knowledge or understanding of drug hypersensitivity, though regardless of your background with dress, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to hear from the experts today with interviews from the 2019 HHV6 Foundation Conference held in Quebec. The HHV6 Foundation is an international nonprofit organization that fosters scientific exchange between virologists and clinical researchers. Now, dress is one of many medical conditions known to be associated with HHV6, a common herpes virus. And the conference attracted many of the world's top researchers, all building on data and sharing information. We'll start by talking with Dr. David Ostrov from the University of Florida. He'll introduce himself in just a second, but one note, we talked to him in mid-2019, and we just heard news that he's now on a team working to better understand and defeat the COVID-19 pandemic. Essentially, Dr. Ostrov and his team utilize methods in structure-based drug design to help develop therapies for preventing and treating human diseases. We talked with him specifically about dress, but he's also working to develop therapeutic approaches to treat different forms of cancer, autoimmune conditions, and autism spectrum disorders, to name just a few. So I'm David Ostrov. I'm a faculty member at the University of Florida College of Medicine. I'm in the Department of Pathology, Immunology, and Laboratory Medicine. I have a long-standing interest in trying to understand how the immune system tells the difference between what should and should not be destroyed in our bodies. And as many people know, this decision is determined to a large extent by T-cells. T-cells make this decision. The CD4 T-cells, they they act kind of like the general of, of the army. Um, orchestrating the immune response. And so T cells have this very important decision. And I'm interested in the molecules on T cells that actually make the decision. And there is a molecule on the surface of T cells called the T cell antigen receptor. And its binding actually determines whether a T cell becomes activated in a form where it can orchestrate the immune response or not. I'm very interested in the structural interactions of the so-called T-cell antigen receptor because of this key role that it has in, in determining whether the immune response is on or not. Drugs can cause un, unwanted events. Drugs can bind to a multitude of proteins in our body. Drugs can cause unwanted responses because they bind to what they're supposed to bind, but they could also cause problems because they could bind to things that they're not supposed to bind. And if they bind something that's important for the immune system, that can change the immune system. And it can activate the immune system in ways that are, you know, very detrimental. And in the case of dress, the drug appears to bind factors that participate in the immune response 
and it ends up causing a massive stimulation of T cells that circulate our, around our bodies and have the ability to elicit damage to our own tissues. And that appears to be what's happening with dress. You know, one thing to keep in mind is that there are different parts of the immune response that are triggered at different time points. So when the immune response begins, there's an, an early response that's almost instantaneous. There's an, an immediate response. The response that occurs in dress is mediated primarily by T cells, and it takes time for T cells to become activated. So the unwanted immune response symptoms typically do not appear until two weeks or later. In terms of drugs that elicit unwanted immune responses, there is no single unifying structural element that we can point to in these drugs that elicit unwanted immune responses. There are examples of drugs that elicit unwanted immune responses that are antiviral agents, anti-cancer agents. Allopurinol is a, a medicine used to treat gout, which triggers unwanted immune responses. So, and if you look at the structures of the drugs themselves, there's no single one unifying chemical group that we can say is the culprit. Nonetheless, if you compare the drugs that have been associated with adverse drug reactions, there do appear to be some commonalities to some of the drugs. For example, some of the drugs have three aromatic rings that are linked to each other. Drugs such as carbamazepine and nivirapine. There are other drugs that are nucleotide-like in terms of their shape. There are other drugs, such as in Bactrim, actually, where the drugs have chemical groups that are reactive, so that the drug or metabolites of the drug can actually form covalent bonds with proteins. It appears that there is a link between viruses and the adverse drug reaction. One can't help but notice that some of these notable um, reports occur in patients infected with a virus. So for example, abacavir is a drug used to treat HIV, and it causes unwanted immune responses in certain individuals. But this phenomenon only happens in individuals that carry HIV. So it's in virally infected individuals. It might be other pathogens, but viruses in particular are um, linked to adverse drug reactions. A notable link is that the drugs themselves can actually reactivate the viruses, and the viral immune response itself might have some influence on the generation of the response that occurs after an in individual takes a drug. If we ask, are there risk factors that we can point to, to try and identify patients that are at a high level of risk. One can point to HLA genes. And as, as medical community, I'm sure know, the HLA stands for human leukocyte antigen. And these are genes that we all carry. And these genes encode proteins that are very important in stimulating T cells. T cells, in fact, will only make this important decision on what should and should not be destroyed by the interaction of this T-cell antigen receptor 
with the proteins that are encoded by these HLA genes. And the genes that encode these proteins are highly polymorphic. They are very different. In fact, the HLA genes, some of them, like HLA-B, is actually the most polymorphic gene in the entire human genome, with more than 5,000 different allelic forms that have been described. So these are genes that are very different among us. Elizabeth Phillips at Vanderbilt University actually made a very important discovery with Simon Millal, also at Vanderbilt University. And they figured out that the adverse drug reaction to abacavir, the, the HIV drug, only happens in certain individuals. It only happens in certain individuals that are carrying a particular form of this HLA molecule. It's called HLA-B allele 5701. Just because you express HLA-B5701, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get a horrible, uh, life-threatening adverse reaction to the drug Abacavir. About half of the patients that carry that uh, form of the gene will develop that adverse response. And so you can think of HLA-B5701 as a marker for individuals that are at a higher level of risk for the adverse drug reaction compared to other people. So as time goes on, the, the list of culprit drugs that elicit unwanted immune responses is going up. And the number of reports of HLA alleles being associated with that adverse response is going up. To my way of thinking, over time, we're getting more and more information about the individuals that are at a high level of risk. So in, in the future, hopefully what will happen is that this kind of information will be included in electronic medical records so that a physician that wants to prescribe a medicine that might be able to elicit an unwanted immune response will be flagged so that they understand that their patient might have a higher level of risk for a particular drug compared to other individuals. In terms of where we are now, there are uh, so-called black box warnings that the FDA has put on certain drugs so that physicians will know uh, on a drug-by-drug -drug basis whether or not the FDA recommends that a physician test their patient before prescribing the drug. And that is indeed the case for Abacavir, the HIV drug, and this HLA-B5701 allele. There's a black box warning to physicians saying that they should have their patients tested for the presence of B5701 before prescribing the drug. If they carry, they should prescribe a different drug. Now a, a new warning has been issued for a second drug, carbamazepine. Carbamazepine, as you might know, is a drug that's uh, used to prevent seizures. And it has been associated with a particular form of HLA-B, again, called allele number 1502. And this phenomenon occurs in Southeast Asians. So the black box warning is that if a Southeast Asian patient has epilepsy, before prescribing carbamazepine,
they should be tested for their HLA-B allele status. You know, in terms of when is this kind of important information going to be in our electronic medical records? My guess is that it's going to, there's going to be a stepwise progression towards all of our genetic information, all of our whole genome sequencing data being in electronic medical records. But that's not going to happen all at once. My guess is that over time, the HLA information is going to be routinely included in electronic medical records. You know, when will that occur? My hope is that within five to 10 years that we see that kind of important information included in electronic medical records. You know, given how inexpensive it is to determine someone's HLA type, I think that it can only be uh, positive to have more information about the level of risk of a patient before prescribing a drug. Dr. Ostrov wants to emphasize this improvement in identifying HLA type among patients and their level of risk to certain drugs should occur more rapidly than is happening now. Now, on to another leading researcher, someone we featured on Addressing Dress in a previous episode, French dermatologist Dr. Vincent Decomp. Here's another portion of his interview, also recorded at the HHV6 annual conference, as he discusses what's next with research and the importance of clinical trials studying HHV6, along with antiviral and steroid therapies in the treatment of dress. What are the most important research projects that are going on right now or that still need to happen? The important project is uh, to go on um, for the reactivation of the virus to, to, uh, to understand the scenario and uh, the, the timing of the event and then to do clinical trial. To do clinical trial with antiviral because uh, now... Everyone is agree that the virus play a role and a major role in this disorder. But uh, today, there is no consensus about the use of antiviral. We use it when the cases are very severe, but we do not use it at the beginning of the dress. Uh, I think it will be very important to do a clinical trial with the association of antiviral and corticosteroids. That will be very, very important. And now we have a, a new antiviral drug that will be interesting. It will be, for the, the research, it will be interesting to, more than antiviral drug, classical antiviral drug, to have some specific drug against HHV6. What we have to do is, uh, as we do today, is to explain because um, dress is not rare and uh, may sometime, I think that um, this kind of hypersensitivity uh, may occur sometime without skin lesion and feminine uh, so some other manifestation of hypersensitivity may be just use the main, same mechanism. And so I think we, we must to be very open mind about this kind of um, big hypersensitivity 
um, to look for the viral activation. So a clinical trial, like you're talking about, that could be born at this conference by getting all of these researchers globally together. So we, we have a dinner yesterday evening with my Japanese colleague, with uh, um, David Asroff, to discuss about that and to, 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 to go. Um, uh, so yes, it's a very important, this kind of conference, to, uh, to discuss together. And I think the best way is to do an international trial because in every country it's difficult and so I think if there is an agreement for research from different countries it will be easier to, um, to propose and to, um, uh, to, um, uh, to do this kind of uh, clinical trial, yes. Again, that was Dr. Vincent de Camp, one of the world's leading dress experts. He's head of the Department of Dermatology at Bichat Claude Bernard Hospital in France. Also at the HHV6 conference, we met up with researcher Kent Van Donge, who spent months reviewing scientific papers on the connection between HHV6 and dress. He talked to us about the importance of dress crossing medical disciplines in order for it to be properly and quickly diagnosed. My name is Kent Van Donge, and I recently started as a research associate for the Human Herpes Virus 6 Foundation. So I do basically review research, um, paper research, reading papers, that kind of thing for the foundation. Drug reactions in general are becoming much more well-known. More people are taking drugs, so you're having more interactions, and as well as antimicrobial resistance, um, which is a huge thing as well. So I think dress is going to be pulled along with that. At the same time, it's not the most common disease. I think one of the reasons that dress is really important is less because of how prevalent it is and more because of the relatively high mortality and morbidity associated with the disease. Dress specifically, I think it needs to cross more disciplinary borders. It's well known in the dermatology field, and there's a lot published on it, but it's not well known in a lot of other fields. But with dress, it's very important because of the huge multi-organ and system involvement. I mean, a lot of times other specialties end up as the primary physicians and primary attending staff for this disease. Dress and its symptoms um, and as a differential diagnosis for certain disorders really needs to be spread beyond dermatology to gastroenterology, hematology, oncology, nephrology. Um, there's just there's a huge long list. I don't want to make generalizations, but communication can be really difficult between teams, um, just the way the healthcare system is set up right now as well. Better integration of communication is definitely something we need, but that's not just with dress, right? That's kind of systemic. And it can be kind of left off a lot of differential diagnosis depending on who's looking at it. Clinicians have to have a vast knowledge of so many different topics, um, and dress is just is not one of the most common diseases, so sometimes it just gets laid to the wayside. Um, obviously, Publishing more reports is a great way, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll read them. From my experience, you know, doctors do try to seek stuff out, but what necessarily comes up when they do and how much time they have to spend to it can vary wildly. I think one of the problems is that HHV6 is, is never going to be one of the, the regular tests done to every patient, um, and a lot of PCR work can take a lot of lab skill. Um, so a lot of times... You know, it's frustrating to wait so long, um, but going to specialty labs that 
know this virus, know the DNA, work with it a lot, um, can offer more accurate results, which in the long run is, is very good for patients. And at the same time, there's just a resource diversity that you have to consider within the hospital. If you get an on-site um, ability to test for HHV6 PCR, what are you giving up? Because there's so many things. And it's hard for us to see because we work with it so closely. So everything we do is HHV6 and dress. And so we want those fast results. But there really are a plethora of other diseases and things that have to be considered too. Secondly, at least right now, unfortunately, there's no guidelines on treating HHV6 viral reactivation. So if it's treated with an antiviral at all, um, it's done at um, kind of the clinical behest of a physician, and oftentimes it's not. So unfortunately right now, there really isn't the data to say um, explicitly what the benefit of treating the virus would be. There's definitely reports of treating the virus with good outcomes, but there, there simply isn't enough data and there aren't clinical guidelines. I think the major benefit, take more seriously the recommendation of possible other organ involvement that's more common in DRESS than some of the other differential diagnoses by kind of shifting the possibility of DRESS to a higher um, degree, as in a higher suspicion of DRESS. Then maybe you watch vital signs more closely. There have been some studies about specific organ involvement being correlated with specific types of drugs. This is all at a correlation level, but there is a, an okay amount of data suggesting that um, different classes of drugs or different groups of drugs tend to involve certain organ systems a little bit more than others necessarily. Carbamazepine um, is more closely related with renal involvement. Uh, Minocycline and Bactrim have been correlated with pulmonary and cardiac involvement in some cases. Um, so maybe knowing that suspecting dress with minocycline or Bactrim, um, there might be more cardiac and pulmonary diagnostic features done. Again, that was researcher Kent Van Donge, who we met at the HHV6 conference as he was studying the connection between HHV6 and dress. Now, earlier in this episode, you may remember the reference to the work of Dr. Elizabeth Phillips, one of the world's leading dress researchers based at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. We were able to spend some time with Dr. Phillips in Maryland, where she was attending a conference, and we've got that conversation to share with you coming up on the next episode of Addressing Dress. This has been an audio production of the Dress Syndrome Foundation. We also want to thank our friends at the HHV6 Foundation for making these interviews in Quebec and this program possible. Thank you for joining us, and please share what you've learned within the medical community. Just one listen could end up saving a life.